Welcome. If you're watching online, so glad you're joining us there as well. If you're new, hey, my name's Kevin. I'm your lead pastor. And uh, if you're new uh, and we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet with you. If you want to come down after the service down front or grab me in the hallway, I'd, I'd love to connect with you and your family and talk for a few minutes. Uh, if you're new, one thing you need to know about our church is uh, at Faith Covenant Church, we bring our Bibles to church. Uh, second thing you need to know about our churches, we open our Bibles at church, and then we get really crazy, and we read our Bibles at church. And so that's kind of who we are. If you're new, we're in a series entitled House Rules. It's a series where we're walking through the book of 1 Timothy. It's a book about how to put a church together. It's a book about how to lead a church. It's a, it's a book about its structure and how to stay on mission as a church. And so if you've got your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, let's go ahead and head on over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. As you're heading there, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, when you're reading the Bible, I, I'm in my life transformation group and we're be reading the book of Hosea recently and you hit a verse and you read the verse and you're like, what does that mean? Right? You read the, I don't know if that's happening. You read it and you're like, I, I, that's strange. I'm not sure I know what that means. And so it was Hosea chapter 4, verse 9. It says, and it will be like people, like priest. I thought, that's strange. That's an odd statement. And I had to think about that for a bit. And I was walking my dog and I'm thinking about that. And then it hit me and it's like, ah, in many ways, the people reflect the priesthood. What Hosea is saying is, as the leader goes, so goes the people. I don't like that verse anymore. <laughs> right? I, I put my Bible away. But there's a lot of truth there. We're a local church. We are a church made up of people, uh, of, of people of all sorts of backgrounds. You have all sorts of various experiences. You have all sorts of family dynamics. You have all sorts of stuff going on in your life. And we gather here amidst all of those differences, because we've got a lot of them, but we gather amidst all those differences under the headship of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is what unites us. Our families don't unite us as a family. Our, our backgrounds or our ethnicities or our cultures, Jesus Christ is what unites us. He, Jesus Christ puts all of those things in perspective. And so while those things are important, they are not the most important thing. Because we're now, as a family, we are one in Christ. We are the family of God on display for the world, being disciples, and making disciples every day together. That's who we are. And this principle, I think, is still true that as the leader, or as the leaders go, so goes the people. And therefore, for a local church, which is the hope of the world, the local church that is God's redemptive gathering place for the believers in this community, it's critical to have solid biblical pastors and elders. And while Paul has already covered the qualifications of pastors and elders, now Paul is going to begin talking about what elders actually do. I know some of you are like, riveting. I can't wait. But many of you have asked, because I'm going to tell you while we look at this, how we're put together, and hopefully it's going to explain why we're put together the way we are. 
But it's interesting, Paul's not the only one to talk about this. Peter talks about this as well. He talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, to the elders among you, he's not talking about those who are aged. He's talking about those who are in positions of leadership. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He says, hey, elders, be shepherds. Hey, elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you have to, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not like, oh, I guess if I have to. Being eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Paul writes about this sort of same thing in Acts chapter 20 where he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That word overseers is the same word as pastor. It's the same word as elder. So when you see overseer, elder, or pastor in your Bible, same word. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So from a very basic reading, if you want to know what elders are supposed to do, your elders are supposed to shepherd the flock. Your elders are supposed to feed the flock. Your elders are supposed to care for the flock. And your elders are supposed to protect the flock. That's their job. That's what they sort of signed up to do. But the question has to be, well, what does that actually look like? Well, here at Faith Covenant, we call it counsel. Elder, counsel, same thing. So when you hear me say counsel or counsel person or whatever, or you hear me talk about elder, we use that interchangeably here. So I'm going to use that word elder this morning, but I want you to know that in our structure, though, it's called counsel, so you know this as you walk in our body. So most of our elders here serve behind the scenes. So I... I Tell them it's sort of like this. It's sort of like your liver. You're glad it's there, aren't you? But if you ever notice that it's there, not so good. Not so good. And so you, you want to know it's working. You want to know it's there. And you're glad you have it. And if you notice them, you've got a problem. They're not trying to hide. They're just serving like everyone else. And there's also a couple of things you may not know about our elders. For example, our elders and pastors work together to set the direction and vision for this church. And so every probably late January, early February, all of your pastors and elders, we go on a retreat where we spend a whole bunch of time praying and, and planning and preparing. And we ask questions like, where are we going? What's happening? What are our concerns? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Hey, where is culture going? What does the Bible say about where culture is going? What should our response be as a body to that? And how do we call our people to live differently? How does Scripture speak to that? We wrestle with things like denominational issues, human sexuality and gender issues, church growth and capital campaign, church planting, uh, our calling on our impact on our community, discipleship initiatives, prayer initiatives, and on and on it goes. And so when we look at this, what they're doing is they are helping to bring clarity so that our teams and our ministry leaders can live out this vision scripturally on a week-by-week, day-by-day basis in their context. 
So our elders bring scriptural clarity to all sorts of things so we stay the course biblically. They make sure we as a family are well-fed, they make sure we are fed consistently, and they make sure we are fed correctly. So when I go sideways and get wonky, they're the ones that walk in and are like, no, you need to go stand up there and correct that. That is not right. Or they make sure leaders are teaching correctly and consistently. Our elders also oversee the care and the correction process of our church. So some people call that church discipline. That just sounds really harsh because really it's care and correction. So it's where we bring correction based on Matthew chapter 18 and Galatians chapter 6. So it's where a brother or sister in our family, where they're caught up in sin. When I mean caught up in sin, what I'm not saying is, because we all sin, right? And so... Right? You know, like, no, only Jill laughed. Like, she's the one, like, am I the only one? Because we all sin, right? And so when, you, when that happens, we're not talking about that. We're talking about those who go, no. And they're blatant about it, and they're unrepentant about it. And so what's happening is when they refuse to acknowledge it, the elders connect with them. And the elders open Scripture with them. And we use it to teach and to correct and to rebuke, and to train in righteousness. And we look to encourage them to say, hey, I think there's a blind spot here. And then we, we walk with them to process that blind spot and then call them back to a biblical path. Because some people repent, and it's beautiful. Because the goal of church discipline is always restoration. I think some churches, I think it feels like the goal is like to kick everybody out. What we're actually trying to do is the goal is correction and restoration. So whether the issue is a marital issue, or maybe it's an affair of some kind, maybe it's an abuse of some kind, maybe someone in the church is trying to build factions and divisions, and they're trying to divide the church and so on, the elders and pastors try to create an environment with care and repentance and restoration in mind. But in the rare occasion where someone has an unrepentant heart and says, doesn't matter, I'm not doing it. We are charged with taking some difficult action. The elders have to make the decision to ask them in good conscience to no longer worship here because they have rejected the Spirit of God, they have rejected the Word of God, they have rejected the people of God, and they have rejected the leadership and pastors of this church. And so we have to ask them to step away. Because in defiance, they're like, no, I'm going to continue in my sin, to which we say that you'll have to step out of the family until you repent of what's going on in your life. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, the elders must protect the flock. The idea, though, is when they repent, let's bring them back. Because they're family. But we can't have them here hurting the family. And so as elders, we too know that we're fallen people. And that we're going to blow it, and, and we're going to do foolish things. And the church here is to help people process that, walk through that, and then walk it out with the Lord. So we're not surprised when sinful people do sinful things. But the elder's job is to invite them into a different way of doing life. Does that make sense? That's our hope. So the third thing the elders do is they provide leadership. So here's one way. Like prior to 2020... Did anybody in here know what COVID was? No, your elders didn't either. 
Do you realize that in one week, this church went from not live streaming to live streaming to you? That's your elders. During 2020, this church had to go, well, do we shut down or do we stay open? Because everyone's going to be mad at us, whatever decision we make. Do we wear masks or not wear masks? How do you do ministry and practice uh, social distancing? Hey, how do you do digital giving? And if we don't meet budget, what gets cut? And if we have staff, which staff gets cut? In what order do they get cut? And that's just COVID. What about do we build or not build? What about church planning? What about denominational issues? How do we stay on mission in in the midst of all that's happening? Elders must lead the flock. I share all this because so much of what they do, you might have never seen before. And you might even say, well, Kevin, I never even see the elders at this church, except for maybe on communion Sundays. They're standing at the door, or maybe they come down front. Well, it's not because they're bored, right? I can tell you that. Guaranteed, your elders are not bored. It's not that they don't want to be seen. You know what the problem is? They're engaged just like you. We have elders right now in the children's ministry teaching in children's ministry. We have them in the nurseries. We have them on this platform. Chuck Howard, who's in the back, has stood right here and preached. We have people on the worship team in production. We have them in the prayer ministry. We have Rick Robies, one of our elders. He just taught Wednesday night at youth ministry. And on and on it goes, whether it's a small group, a life group, a life transformation group, the finance committee, they're working with staff and more. It's that they're engaged. They're not bored. Definitely not there. So with all of that as our background, some of you are like, why am I getting a lesson in church polity on Sunday morning? Because that's what Paul is talking about. Look at verse 17. Paul says, the elders who direct, or your Bible might say, the elders who lead the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So the elders who lead well, who engage well, the elders who manage well, it says, are worthy now of double honor or double praise. And that word honor, it's a really, really interesting word. Here's where all the elders are going to get really excited if you're in the, in, in the room. Do you know what that word actually means? Compensate. <laughs> They're like, yes, <laughs> yeah, preach, Kevin. That's, it means compensate. So it means that they are worthy of compensation, Now, it's important to note that being worthy of honor or being worthy of compensation doesn't mean that they require it because that's not what happens here. So our elders could be compensated, but they have decided not to do that. And some of them are like, when did we vote for that exactly? (laughs) You know, right? When, When was that vote taken? That vote was taken in 1976. This church said, that's it. We might change some other things. We're not changing that. We're not paying elders. That's not what we do. So everyone on our council, everyone on our elder board, our team of 15 except three, have are not compensated, and they have jobs, day jobs, full time day jobs, or they're retired. They sacrificially give of their time as they provide for their families in the workplace. And so as you can imagine, their time is precious and, and it's limited and it's given to this church joyfully and willingly. They lose sleep for this family so you don't have to. 
your elders lose sleep for this family so you don't have to. I don't know how many of you have stayed up at night just crying or weeping or working on stuff for this church. And like you, our elders know, they've read the book of 1 Timothy. So they understand how absolutely critical sound doctrine is to a body. I mean, how many times have we seen this admonition to the elders for them to, to be on guard or to guard the doctrine of the church? And so with that in mind, what the elders have done is they have hired a teaching elder to oversee the primary teaching function at FCC. You know him as your lead pastor. That's what they've decided to do. And so I sit on the council as one of the team. I'm an elder at this church. Now, I am not the boss of them. It's really poor when pastors are the boss of the church. Why? Because pastors leave. Now, I'm not announcing I'm leaving. Don't hear that. But, the, but you know that, right? You know pastors transition. And so because of that, it's very important that I not run the church. I'm a part of a team that leads the church. Because actually your pastors are charged with serving the elders and ultimately serving you. So I don't control the elder team. It's a plurality of leadership. This group seeks the Lord. We move together on an issue. So does that mean we all agree all the time? Every elder in the room should have just laughed. Marvin, I should have heard you laugh in the back. We do not agree. There is quite a bit of, of, of division at times. And I'll give you an example. Right now, your elder team is very, very divided. And this is the issue we're dealing with. You've got a section of the elder team right now going, we should not be joining another denomination. And you've got another section of the elder team going, we need to join another denomination. And then you've got a group in the middle going, we're not sure yet. We are very divided. So, so you know what we do to solve that? We pray. We pray and we talk. And then we do things. So tonight, you're coming to a congregational meeting. They're going to be here at like 3.30. Why? Because there's a denominational leader coming here because we meet with denominational leaders to talk to them and ask them questions. And they know what we do? We pray again. And then we're going to talk some more. And then we're going to pray some more. Because we're not forcing the issue. We're moving as one as the Lord leads. So can it be slow? Yes. <laughs> Can it be tedious? Carlos goes, yes. You know, uh, he's one of our elders. But we are a Holy Spirit-led team. We don't run before. We walk behind. So we did the same thing when, when we came to you as a church, because we don't make the decisions. We come up with a recommendation, and we make a motion to you. This is what we think we should do. So we brought a motion to you also that we should pay off the debt of our previous denomination. And let me tell you, there was at least one elder who was super against that and said, I'm not doing it because I didn't sign for it. I don't do debt. That's not how we're doing. I, I don't know why we're paying it off. 18 months later, your team sat in unison going, this is exactly what God wants. It doesn't matter what you want. 
You know, stupid Holy Spirit. You know, like, you get really frustrated because you're like, okay, because we are following the Holy Spirit's thing. So we came to you after wrestling with it for 18 months. And let me tell you, we had some spirited discussions around that one. We are a Holy Spirit-led team called by God to feed the flock, to care for the flock, to protect the flock, and to lead the flock. And so the question becomes then, Kevin, you said 12 don't get paid and three do. Why are the pastors compensated? Well, it has to do with our primary role, which is really twofold. One, we are the primary communicators here at FCC, which means we spend significant amounts of time in study and in preparation to teach. And second, your pastors serve as sort of the day-to-day leadership and are responsible for staff direction, culture, and its organization. Now, some churches, and maybe you grew up in a church like this, and I have to say, this is a noble ideal. So, but some churches are like, you know what? We don't need a paid pastor. Because when we read scripture, that word pastor isn't even used. So we're just going to have elders. And that sounds great until someone begins to be a bivocational pastor and they're banging away at their career all day, 40, 50 hours. They have to come home and we want them to be with their family and lead their family. And then sometime in there, they've got to study, research, prep, and be doctrinally sound in the message that they're putting together for Sunday morning in order to teach. And the honest truth is the quality of the communicating, the doctrinal soundness of the message, not just at a moment, but over time begins to suffer. And I commend folks that have tried to do it, but one of the beauties of being a compensated elder who focuses on preaching and teaching is it's reflected in my calendar, which means I have the freedom to study where most people who are bivocational never could and singular focus is the key. Singular focus is the key. So the elders decided that the word of God and the leadership of the staff should be singular focused. Which brings us to verse 18. Paul writes, for scripture says, do not muzzle an ox. Should I be offended by that? (laughs) Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And then he quotes again, the worker deserves his wages. So you'll probably notice the footnotes there where both of those are quotes from other uh, sections of your Bible. And so, like I said, my primary role here is to teach and preach, and which means that's reflected in my calendar. And so there's a whole bunch of time put together studying and reading and prepping and putting messages together. But also a large portion of my time is in meetings. I spend a whole bunch of times in meeting with your staff. I spend a bunch of times in meeting with you. Some of you in premarital counseling, in the middle of your marriage counseling, and maybe even at the end of your marriage as you're trying to figure out how to put it back together. I meet with community leaders about how to reach this city for Christ. I meet with local pastors about how do we work together instead of the church be divided. I, I meet with, with all sorts of people in these meetings that provide direction and strategy and vision, not just for our church, but for the church. And I function as a liaison, the main liaison really between council and our staff. Our staff, we have about 19 staff here. Now, not all of them are full-time, but that's a decent staff. And so I'm not alone on the staff team. We work together in the office as a group to ensure sound doctrine and teaching in all the various ministry contexts. 
So we have staff who shepherd people, who counsel people, working with specific demographic environments, working on administrative tasks and more. We do this to make sure that the main focus stays the main focus for your leaders, your elders, and your pastors. And maybe just sort of a side note, maybe you don't want to know this and I'm giving you too much information, but then, then you can't say we didn't tell you. About 50 to 55% of our budget, of our church budget, goes to compensation, goes to, to paying uh, our staff. And that's a really good benchmark, by the way. Some churches, they get really staff heavy. They do 65, 70, and 75% of their budgets. I think that's way too staff heavy. But one of the gr- greatest assets of this church, in case you didn't know it, is not the building. It's your staff. You've got great staff. So, and just so you know, I, didn't, I wish I could say, and I hired them all. No, that's not how that worked. You've got great, great staff. That's one of the best assets we have here. And so what some people ask me, no lie, some people ask me this, Kevin, why would we pay staff? We're a volunteer organization. Why wouldn't we just volunteer at all? And I try really hard not to roll my eyes because have you ever tried to remodel your house, right? And you ask that friend who's going to give you a good deal, right? But who works full time and they're going to come over and they're going to remodel your house and they're going to do it after hours. They're going to do it on the weekends and they've got small children. They're going to do all this. It's going to take forever to remodel your house. And even then, I'm not so sure you're going to get the benefit you think you're going to get. Because one of the great benefits you get from hiring someone is their time. That's what you're hiring most people for is their time. And just so you know, this isn't a new concept. It's not like 50, 75 years ago, the church is like, hey, pay your pastors. No, it's taken from the Old Testament. Where, where we see that the Old Testament believers were called to tithe to the tabernacle, to tithe to the temple. Why? So that the priests and the Levites could be supported because they were forbidden from getting jobs or having vine- vineyards on their own. Why? Singular focus. That's why they were, that they were called to do that. Singular focus. If the priority of the family is the spiritual life, if the priority of this family is the gathering— where we come together, the gathering of believers, you cannot throw this together. Let me tell you, you don't want Carlos getting up here going, didn't practice nothing, the worship team did anything, just go with me. We're going to end when we're going to end. And you don't want me up here just opening up my Bible, just making stuff up, because that'll be a mess. And with my brain, the way it works, we'll never end. I'll preach for two hours, because I love God's Word. We'll be here all day. You don't want stuff, you just can't throw stuff together. You can't make stuff up. You can't prep on leftover time. You're not supposed to wing it. And in the Old Testament, the the Levites were actually set aside to do just that. So here in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul actually quotes Deuteronomy 25. And when you read it, you're like, what does that mean? That's an odd quote. Well, the nice thing is he also used the same quote with a little bit more explanation in 1 Corinthians 9. And in there it says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is, and then what he writes is, Is it about oxen that God's concerned? Like, is he really talking about oxen? What he's saying is, Surely, he says, This is for us. 
yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? And Jesus affirms this very same thing in his teaching. Now, Anytime you talk about compensation for pastors and you're a pastor that's compensated, it gets really awkward because I'm watching the same news stories you are. So I'm following the same Preachers and Sneakers Instagram page that you are. Some of you are like, I have no idea what that is. There's an actual Instagram account that was from this week, an actual Instagram account that takes pictures of pastors in shoes that cost $800, dollars $1,000, $1,500. T.D. Jakes, those, those shoes are $800. They put it right up online. And they show you, and that's what they, or you read the same stories I do of the guys. This is an actual story. He, he is fleecing little old ladies again to buy his fourth jet that he needs to fly around the world to spread the gospel. So when you talk about compensation, I'm reading the same stuff you are. That's why it's awkward. But that's not what we're talking about here. The way our compensation is set at this church is, um, Jill Williams currently works uh, as the liaison with your church staff. We base it all on national averages. You put in people's education, where we are in the country, you drop it all in, it spits out a formula, and it gives you a bell curve. And you say, this is what we pay. And so none of our Pastors are making a boatload of money, and God willing, none of us are at the poverty line either. The goal would be a laborer is worthy of his wage. And the point is, if the Word of God is the priority in the community, if we're going to hold the Word of God as a, as a high value of the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, if we want quality teaching over time with your kids, with our students, with our young adults, with our prime timers in our small groups— and we're going to say this is a critical thing, then we're going to need one thing. And you know what it is? Singular focus. That's what you need. The ability for someone to set time in their schedule to dig in and to do the work, to handle God's word correctly, consistently, and without shame. Because if you went in there and Michelle Nieder just came out of teaching, by the way, she just came out of teaching 19 first and second graders. And if you don't want her making stuff up, maybe we should give her some help. Maybe your pastor should do the work to give her material so she can prep doctrinally correct. Because if you walk in there and your kids are all sideways spiritually, you're not going to be happy with me. And so we set the direction to make sure your kids know God's word. And we do it without shame. I'm not ashamed of God's word. You know why? I didn't write it. I tell you that all the time. I didn't write it. I'm telling you what it says. And so we want to be able to stand here and teach and preach, and we're prepared. Why? Because Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says, there's a day coming. There's a day coming. So what he says is, I give you this charge, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather, a church will gather around them, 
a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work. Do the work of evangelists, discharge all the duties of your ministry, and that's exactly what your elders have done. So being an elder, being in leadership at this level, in case you didn't know it, um, is not easy. It's not always easy. Uh, when you're an elder, some decisions over the years have been welcome, and people have said, great job. And then other times, they're not so easy. Because they make decisions, and you're like, I don't like you. And I don't like your decisions. It's easy to throw stones at those in leadership because of different perspectives. And many times when people come to us, we see it's generally a lack of information. I can't tell you how many times people came up and said, Kevin, can I, can I give you some feedback? Sure. And they begin to share with me, and their position is based on the information that they have. And so we say things like, well, I understand how you got there based on that information. But can I share with you some other information, some other websites, some other articles, some other things that will help you understand better why we made the decision we made that maybe you're not aware of? And some people go, yeah, yeah, I'll totally look at that. And maybe their perspective gets changed. And other people are like, no, I'm not reading it. This is my opinion. And so some are willing, and unfortunately, some are, are not. And it can, it can be very easy to get critical, to negatively critique or to negatively interpret decisions that are being made at church with a different perspective, a different set of information, which is why Paul says in verse 19, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Now, does that assume that your elders are untouchable and that your elders are always perfect? Yes. No, <laughs> ask my wife. She just said no, right? That, that's not what, what it's saying here. Not at all. In fact, we welcome the conversation and the interaction. We even invite it. In fact, we cannot shepherd a flock we do not know. So it's important that we connect and really, that's another reason why the church has hired staff. But you could easily say, Kevin, I don't even know who the elders are. Kevin, okay, I've been at this church for a year, two years, maybe three years, and I've not had a conversation with a single elder. And I would say there's 15 of us and 700 plus of you. We need a little bit of a break because there's a lot of you and there's not as many of us, which is why we have deacons which is why you have a staff, which is why you have people who are leading these various teams, because that's what they're there for. They're there to be the liaisons to filter information back to your elders, because we know we, if we met with all of you, it would take us a year to get through it. And so we're trying to find ways to do that effectively. But if there's a personal accusation against an elder, against their character, so you can look and say, hey, elders, you made a stupid decision, and we'd go, Okay, we might have. I, we tried our best. But if you make an accusation and call them stupid and you challenge their character, then that needs to be brought by two or three witnesses. It's important. 
And just to be clear, our elders live out their lives very confessionally, meaning we understand that we too are works in progress. We understand that the Lord's doing something in us, that we are not elders because we're perfect. In fact, if you know any of us, that's a laughable statement. But we are open to what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. We are reading our Bibles, and we are letting our Bibles read us. You can guarantee that. We are living in community, and we're hopefully modeling what humility looks like even in leadership. But what about the elder who has an issue in their life? And y'all know it because y'all run businesses, you're out in the world, and you see one of our elders, and they're going sideways. And you're like, that guy? That guy's an elder? So we go, and you bring it, and you let us know. We go, we check it out, we get two or three, and it's true. Everything you're saying is completely true about that elder. What do you do with that? That's verse 20. Paul writes, but those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove, or your Bible might say you are to rebuke them before everyone. Bring them on the stage at church, rebuke them before everyone, so that others may take warning. That's a terrifying passage if you're an elder, right? Because like, what does that mean? Well, I'll, I'll put it like this. The higher up you climb in the tree, the more people see your backside, Higher you climb up in the tree, more people see your backside. Uh, for example, God forbid, if I were to disqualify myself, okay? So if I were to do something uh, that would disqualify me from ministry, it's going to be videotaped. It's probably going to go on the website. It's probably going to go on a podcast. It's probably going to go on social media, as it should. As it should. Why? Because I'm the senior leader. And so are your elders. So what do you do with a, an elder or a senior leader? Well, if an elder were to sin, we would have to make it public. That's what he says. Why do you do that? So that people will know you're serious about supporting and holding one another accountable to what the Word of God says. And you have to do that without any bias. You have to do that without any partiality because that's verse 20, 21. Excuse me. Paul writes, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. And the fascinating part about that phrase, which you miss, is it talks about the elect angels. Do you see that there? Most people miss this because you read it out of context. The context is about holding elders accountable. So it looks like what he's talking about is the fall of Satan here. It's the idea of a supering, usurping authority and therefore being ejected from glory, not elected to glory. This is about uh, discipline. And the angels were ejected from glory for their decisions. So the point he seems to be making is you cannot be biased it doesn't matter what the elder's name is. It doesn't matter how long the elder has gone to this church. It doesn't matter how big their checkbook is. None of that stuff matters. And so with that, the church needs to take its time in appointing an elder due to its seriousness. Do you know how long it takes to put together your slate that you vote on I in December? A full year. There's a team at this church called the Nominating Committee that meets all year long whose sole goal it is to interview and to look for qualified elders for this church. It takes them a full year 
so that when you get it and you read it and you've gone through, they've spent a whole year praying and asking. Gail Lancaster's right there. She leads the whole team. She's in, well, you're in charge. You work as a team. I get it. But that's what she does. That's how serious we take it. But what we also take seriously is if an elder is disqualified, you've got to take some time in their restoration process. You can't put, put them back into eldership right away. And that's really verse 22. Paul writes, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So you want to move really slow in moving someone into the seat of elder. And if someone has sinned and you're working with them through the restoration process, you want to take your time there as well. Why? Because godliness at a point in time means little. Godliness over time means everything. It takes time to figure out if someone's qualified. And really, that's verse 24 and 25. And some of you are like, he just skipped the drinking verse. Oh, I'll get there. I'll get there. Because I don't think it means exactly what you think it means. But 24 and 25 says, the sins of some are obvious. Reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, the sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever, which means you can fool anybody for a moment, but time is the great revealer. And so Paul's saying, you want to watch over time. You need to check someone's life out and make sure somebody is true to what they say they are. And as you can see, it's not easy being an elder. It's challenging based on just the qualifications alone, let alone the character qualifications. It's a difficult task to, to shepherd you, to feed you, to correct you, to protect you, to care for you. It's tough dealing with messy lives, unpopular truths, trusting the Holy Spirit, equipping, caring, teaching, training, leading. Our elders do this. It's enough to give you an ulcer, right? Which just might be verse 23. Paul says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, some of you have that verse. It's italicized or it's in parentheses. It's that way because it's a side note. So not all of our texts have this verse in it. And so apparently here, Timothy has something going on physically that was hindering him. And so this is Paul saying, hey, don't be legalistic. Uh, if wine's going to help you, if it's going to help your stomach issues, then feel free. But in context, I honestly begin to think the point might be, it's hard being an elder. I'm not being dramatic. I think if I'm gut level honest, it's not easy. The issues that your elders have to work through is amazing. They have to put in time that you will never know the tears that they've shed with you at our church, the tears that they've shed over this church, praying for people, challenging people, walking with people through some of the most difficult seasons in their entire lives. And, and I want you to know, we have a healthy leadership team, and I'm thankful for that. And what it feels like verse 23 is speaking to is the issue of self-care. It's almost like Paul saying, hey, Timothy, there are no awards given to people who blow themselves up. Right? So make sure you take some time off and take some time to recover. Deal with the ulcer. Get some sleep. Don't work all the time. 
And I would say the same is true, not just for our elders here, not just for our staff here, but I would really say for any leader here, if you're a burned out leader, if you are spiritually, emotionally, and physically burned out, you are a very little benefit to this body. One of the greatest gifts you can give yourself, one of the greatest gifts you can give the Lord, one of the greatest gifts you can give your family, this family, your life group, your ministry, to wherever it is that you influence, the greatest gift you can give is a healthy you. Because a healthy you can be used by God in incredible ways, and an unhealthy you can be used by Satan in incredible ways. So, so what are some takeaways from the passage? This is where it gets awkward because I'm an elder here and, and I've got to tell you things to do here, but that's what it is. So it's going to sound a little weird, but one of them I'd say is we have to respect our elders. We have to respect because you know why? Those people have earned it. I, I know they put the time in. They are laboring behind the scenes tirelessly. You don't always have to agree with them. I'm not even saying you have to like us. Not saying anything like that, but I believe that they need to be respected because God has given them the responsibility to lead God and protect and care for this church. And I think that's where they respect. Second, those who work hard at preaching and teaching, it says that they deserve double honor. So if you have a life group leader, or if you have an Aspen leader, uh, someone who leads a life transformation group, maybe right now you've got a kid in, in children's ministry, maybe in the nurseries, upstairs in student ministries, uh, they're involved in prime timers. You've got someone who's leading that. And they've led you, and they've encouraged you, and they've taught you, and they've supported you. Maybe could we start with just like, thank you? Like maybe not double honor. How about just when you pick your kids up, thanks. Hey, thanks for providing a safe environment. Thanks for loving our kids. And thanks for, for teach every week for showing up at this Bible study and just pouring into us. Thanks for all of that. Galatians 6 says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. They get the complaints. But I think a thank you could go a long way. And I'm pretty sure they've earned it. And finally, I would say, would you just pray? I shouldn't say just pray. Would you pray? Because prayer is the most important thing. I probably should have let off with that. But would you pray for the leadership of your church? And not that we would do what you want, by the way. I need you to pray that we would follow the Holy Spirit in all of our decisions. I don't, don't pray that they do whatever I tell them to do. No, I need you to pray that, that we would operate with the mind of Christ. That's what you need to pray. That we're making good decisions and owning the ones we might get wrong, but that we would make a, as good decisions as we can moving forward. Church 1 Corinthians 15 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Church, he says, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so church, I would look at you and say, let's go. Like, let's go. Like, let's help people look more like Jesus every day in every way together. The structure's there. The elders are there. The team is set. Our staff is great. The structures are effective for ministry there. Let's go. Like, 
let's be about what God has called us to be about. And if as the leader goes, so goes the people, your leadership is healthy. So let's live that out. Amen? Because we have a city that needs Jesus. We have people in our city who are far from God, who, who he is still calling to himself, a people that, that need hope. We've got kids who are struggling big time, and they need to know that Jesus Christ is their Savior, that Jesus Christ is their healer, that he is their sanctifier, and that he is their coming king. The battleship is ready. Church, let's go.